This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. This week, we are joined by mother and daughter team Susan and Chloe Pate. You may not recognize their names, but you will undoubtedly know their work. Pate International has been creative genius behind such iconic labels as Opus One, Harlan, Campari, Sky Vodka, and dozens more. Listen in today as we hear their incredible stories of the artistry and impact of such unparalleled wine designs. Let's get started. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. I have mother and daughter, Susan and Chloe Pate from Pate International in San Francisco. And I know that you guys are very modest, but I don't have to be modest about your work. Um, you are stars of the label, visual design, branding, and wine. You've been around forever. You have an absolutely unparalleled client list with everyone from Opus One to Harlan to Campari and Sky Vodka. So it does go beyond just wine. Um, and when I had a chance to meet you this year, I mean, I had a real fangirl moment because I was like, oh my heavens, you know, these are the women who are creating a lot of the visual identities that are just a part of our wine world. And yet that's, it's never talked about. You're not super public with the work that you do. So I'm glad to get to pick your brain today. Well, thank you, Polly, for having us on. Um, we're delighted to be here, and big thanks for that intro. Right, thank you. I I understand you have a a, a large Italian audience that that are fans of your of your podcast. Is that right? You have an Italian story. You do. Let's let's hear your Italian story. Um, I received a very lovely letter from the Marchese Frescobaldi family, um, asking me if. I would uh, work with them. They wanted to do a a project which was uh, like a joint venture with Robert Mondavi. I thought because of my, this letter that I was the only person uh, working with them. So I was very casual about it because I figured it would be a back and forth thing. And so I did this, uh, um, was the, the presentation. Yeah. And I... I did it just in pencil, and um, Tim Mondavian was going to go over uh, to meet with them, and um, I, I had it scotch taped onto a bottle just as a concept. And so, uh, unbeknownst to me, um, I don't know, 50 other designers presented you know, and they and there I heard just the explanation of what was there. I wasn't there, but they had full printed, mocked up, you know, packages all completed, and um, uh, and two of the brothers, you know, went into and they they to this sea of these 
uh, of these labels. And then um, the, the head Mar Marchese uh, was Leonardo. Oh, gosh, I think so. Anyway. These are not I, words that we normally have in conversations. So the head Marchese the head actually had to pick. I love this. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, know, I know all these people's names very well, and I and I'm spacing out right now. Anyway, I love it. So he wasn't at the presentation, and he came in uh, later. And Bob Mondavi back here in in Napa had a cold, and um, so he was home, and the, we had business we needed to talk about. So I went up to Wapo Hill with Mary, his secretary, so we could um, go over and get some some work done. And while I was there, the phone rings, and it's this Marchese Frescobaldi. And um, he, he, he said, Bob, I'm, I'm here, and, uh, and there's a sea of wine packages in front of me. Every, he said, I don't know. I looked at him, and he says, there's, there's only one that speaks to me, but it's just a piece of paper taped on the bottle. And I went, oh, that's mine. I know that's mine. Anyway. <laughs> that's awesome. So then he so then we're we're now all on the phone and he said, Oh, you have to this is, you know, Susan, you have to go over and and see the and, and see there. So I went over there and here's amazing. The uh the the church, the Santo Spirito, is like an L shape for the, the palace, the Marchese Palace. And so all of the the family on Sunday, they each have apartments. Um, they open their louvers at, in this room and they look down into the uh, into the church. So the Marchese said, he said, my brothers, we have been looking at this our whole life. And he said, you've got to come over here. And so what it was, they they had the communion in their apartments, looked down, and over the centerpiece, over the altar, is this 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 uh, image of the of the sun, rising sun, and um, the luce is. I, I this is so many little stories. I have to slim it slim it down here. Um, so Luce, uh, Margaret uh, uh, Mondavi um, came up with that because we were talking about all kinds of names, and Luce would come and go, "Oh, that's a really good name," and she's she's brilliant. She said, and it means you know light in the womb, you know, and then you know light to grow the grapes, and it's just a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful um, name. So it all like fit, uh, you know, really well, and. Um, so I went went over there because I had they hadn't you know they they hadn't presented I I then did a, a mock up on a on a bottle um, that a finished mock up and took it over because it hadn't been presented to everybody and um, I go into the office and there's like I don't know a, a row of secretaries like you know twelve secretaries and walk down the center and everyone's going like this <gasps> because. They don't. Women weren't in. Didn't go to meetings. They. They. Uh, you know. Was so. This was something uh, quite unique. <laughs> so we go in and and I'm talking and I take out the package and I make the presentation, 
and um, the another one of the other brothers and I said in the name Luce and he goes yes 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 Luce and then he stands up and he goes not only is it in the womb and in the stuff but it's in the soil you must go to Montepulciano to the vineyard <laughs> and it's and here the soil it's got all this mica. It's all. It's all got this all light in the soil. Yeah, like gold flecks. Right? Yeah. So gold it flex. must. Yeah. It's just a little. So, anyways, it was. It was very exciting. I have a picture. I think of of all of us standing there while they all, you know, they were all lined up, you know, big smiles on their face. So I, I think something interesting about that is that Susan, you would have been barely old enough to drink when you actually started on this path of working for wineries like you would you know you would not have been this audience member that we talk about you know like loves wine you would have been early possibly in your mm. wine experience did you know a lot about what you were getting into i mean why wine well i came from the midwest i graduated from miami university oxford ohio and uh came to uh, San Francisco shortly after I graduated. And uh, coming from the Midwest, <clears throat> wine didn't uh, accompany your, your dining experience at the time I was growing up. So I did not really have a, a wine experience um, until I came to San Francisco and uh, experienced at a dinner uh, my first real glass of Cabernet Sauvignon, and I, it was, wow, what is this? And I, um, right from the beginning, got into food and wine, discovering there's more than one type of uh, lettuce. Uh, <laughs> going to the Marina Safeway, there were like nine. So um, food and wine just were uh, extraordinary experiences coming from the stage that that <clears throat> was at in the Midwest. So uh, I had a fine, you know, fine art training and I started, uh, you know, being aware of the wine industry and very shortly uh, came into uh, United Vintners, which was a, a marketing arm. It was a, it, from the families, the wine families got together and created United Vintners to market uh, their wines. And I was the first person in the door with, I had a silkscreen press and came to uh, make posters for the wine industry. And I, I started Right, like day one, and I worked for them for uh, as a freelancer uh, solidly for uh, several years and um, had the experience of working. They had 30 brands. So I worked on all 30 brands um, from their uh, modest, low price wines to their uh, ultra super premium wines at that time and <clears throat> just had. A, a really wonderful uh, exposure to the people, the industry, and the wines. When you were doing that there with your your silk screen in hand, how much time was being spent thinking about who the audience 
for each one of these different wines were? How did we speak to them? Or, you know, both in terms of language and in terms of visual design. Was that part of the conversation back then? Um, it came automatically because silkscreen is more of a fine art medium. And um, so I had some very uh, successful pieces right off the bat with more of that approach. And the um, market uh, responded very positively. So I don't know that they came out with another wine all the time I was with them that I didn't um, present the, the market image. The, uh, the, the point of sale was very big at that time. And I went, um, you know, I went really to the market directly by showing the market and showing lifestyle and uh, situations that people were enjoying uh, wine. And so the uh, pieces that I produced themselves were direct communicators to the audience. And uh, the, you know, I would say every, everything was very successful. So I, I was learning as I was um, producing. Chloe, you're here. You are the second generation of Pate International. There's every possibility that there could be a third generation coming along, you know, behind you to do this one day. Um, in wine, we have our multi-generational families. We've got our dynasties and, and with them come both beautiful, positive advantages, but there are also, you know, there are challenges and there are lessons involved in working together in a family space. Do you feel like that experience of, you know, Chloe coming on board as second generation gave you some better insight into the challenges of working across these multiple generations of wine families? <laughs> sure. Um, in a way, I feel like I've always been here. Um, when I was, you know, a child, I was here sweeping <laughs> the floors. And in high school, I'd fill out the FedEx forms and send the faxes because it was quite a long time ago. Um, and in college, I went to the California College of Arts and I'd work here part time. And then after I was finished with school, I was here full time. So I feel like I've always been a part of this. And so the transition <clears throat> kind of of responsibilities um, at, at, at what we con contribute has been kind of a slow going, seamless kind of passing of the baton. So for us, it was quite easy. Um, it just took a long time, mm -hmm. but with, I've seen, you know, uh, there's all kinds of stories for the families, um, the wine owners, families and their children, where sometimes the transition happens smoothly and sometimes mm -hmm. it destroys the family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for instance, the Mandavi and the well chronicled story of, um, how that fell apart there. And um, in other cases, like with Bill Harlan and his son, Will, um, you know, I've watched them, they're transferring, you know, very well right now, as Will takes over mm -hmm. more and more um, responsibilities with Harlan Estate. Both of the children are involved. Yes. I think, I think it is involving the next generation uh, in, in the business uh, and as many different positions as a family member can experience in that business, the better because of their understanding and putting together then the big picture. So a number of the successful uh, families that, that we've worked with 
where the kids are in uh, involved, maybe you know, in the vineyard or, or uh, during harvest or in cellaring, um, and then uh, getting exposed to the marketing um, and what goes into that. So it's building uh, an idea of the industry through the work and the participation. Mm -hmm. I think that works uh, much. Again, every situation is different, but if it uh, goes from the founder who is usually very involved in the product uh, and and the resources and the whole structure of the business. Um, if the offspring are put in, say, marketing, or then the other ones put in production or whatever, with, then you kind of, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, you know, 50-50, sometimes that works great. Other times it doesn't because of egos and a sphere of influence and, you know, things come up that do cause problems. But we have enjoyed uh, Round Pond. We work with their children and uh, adults. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Bill Harlan, we worked with Bill Harlan for 40 some years. And so it's absolutely wonderful because I remember with his kids when they were little kids. And so now we're working with his son and there's a lovely continuum there, both in the, um, the transfer of the image if, for, for our, our clients that are in to establish something that has durability and is a classic uh, quality to that will ride through time. And that the, um, the brand continues to develop as does the whole uh, uh, influence, the realm of influence of that brand. So you're actually building all the time and it's a, an opportunity when this next generation comes along to not change it, but really understand it and protect it and be able to uh, you know, maintain uh, that heart and soul that is part of the original um, you know, branding and done properly, which which we 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 do properly. Um, what we put into it, which is we're doing our job for our clients. So we're putting what they want to present, what they want to communicate, and who they are into the package. So there's a soul in there, and it comes from the combination of people intent that is put into the product to begin with. And we come from a fine art uh, background. So um, we, we call ourselves uh, uh, commercial fine artists. Our, if we were just artists, we would be an art for art's sake, but we're commercial fine artists. So we're using our fine art to uh, you know project imagery and desirability for our clients' products. So when you take a, a brand, and I, I don't want to, you know, focus too much on any particular brand, but since you did mention Harlan, let's kind of run with that. Um, absolutely iconic design and definitely in the super premium category. How have you seen these brands where you've worked with them for decades themselves have to evolve either their visual styling or their communication 
to meet the changing needs of, you know, let's talk about digital. We've gone from broad market, print collateral, traditional media, now to a space where do you have Instagram accounts and what does your Facebook look like? And what about your websites? And, you know, do we need AR, VR, QR code? You know, do you have any stories about that that we can we can learn from? Yes, I, I'm thinking of um, a couple stories. Um, well, starting with Bill Harlan, we have extensive um, record keeping, and so from every aspect of the graphics, um, we we basically control it, and when someone need something, they get exactly the form of that something that they need for the means of application that it's going to be used. So if any changes come along the way, um, they go through us and we absolutely, you know, maintain the integrity of all the original artwork. Um, I think a big problem is when uh, things are passed along. I mean, even starting in production, um, if you're going back not to the original master, but if you're going back to the last label, there's incremental uh, degradation that hurt. You know that then it gets to a point. So I'm like, this is not working. Yeah, you've, it's been been destroyed. Um, there are other. And then you go, oh well, marketing comes in. They say we need a new design. Well, if if the design and the presentation of it and the level of quality, you do, if you come up with a better paper, you can make an adjustment or we would recommend an adjustment. But to uh, save money and go for lesser quality or fewer colors or let's drop this and we can do this instead, and it degrades so it doesn't have that impact or that desirability that the first or communication so especially in the high end, the quality from start to finish has to be, you know, right there and maintained. So um, the, uh, I've, in fact, let's have Chloe tell you what we do for, for the Harlan to preserve the art. Oh, <laughs> okay. we're like the gatekeepers for anything that um, goes through Harlan. And we have a, you know, we, things pretty much always come through us to make sure that they're are no um, changes or anything that shouldn't be changed is not um, addressed. So I think that they keep the very premium, um, a very their very premium look, and it's very kind of traditional. And they've kind of stuck to that um, way of marketing, especially for I think Harlan Estate. I don't think that there's that much out there in the social media world, um, at least to my knowledge. And I think one thing that they do to kind of stay fresh is starting brands. So Promontory is one of their new brands. Um, that was Will, his son's kind of first big venture. Will also um, spearheaded the mascot. So in a way, they kind of keep them separate. And I think that they're different separate brands have different appeals to different kind, different mm -hmm. kinds of um, markets. And different terroir and different, uh, you know, there is a, a profile that they achieve uh, uh, in, their, in their brands as they have created them and very much uh, in line with the gift from the terroir they're 
using for that particular brand. Uh, in his system, you know, if you're going to apply his graphics, if you're going to do a, a tasting in Europe or uh, some, uh, there there is a, a level of presentation that, um, you know, they maintain that is very important uh, to have a seamless identity and and uh, you know every situation you um, may have a different purpose uh, and required a different manipulation of the artwork, but it is all done to maintain uh, the the look and feel of the of the brand. So what's interesting to me um, when I hear you talking about that is that that particular instance is very much what we see right in our luxury brands, where there is a often multi-generational vision. There's a real control over the branding. And I mean that in a positive way, like, you know, that, that branding is sacrosanct and it's meant to live beyond whoever is running the show today. What's interesting to me though, is that we also have a lot of non-luxury brands and we have this conversation all the time where we're like, okay, well, do you have branding guidelines? Do you have messaging guidelines? Is there a repository? Do we have historic labels? You know, like we go in to try to help with the marketing and this has never been a part of, they, they, they don't even know from the beginning that these are things that they need to be thinking about. When you get someone who walks in the door and they're really enthusiastic and they have an idea for the name or they want the name and they want the label because this is like the baby birthing part of it, right? It's so beautiful and creative. How do you get them to stop, sit down, think about their goals, and then start making decisions that will empower a really strong brand from your perspective. What does that onboarding process look like for you? Uh, that is a very, very key uh, point in a, in a project. And every client, uh, whether they have a brand or they are going to remodel a brand or they change the uh, price and want to go do an upgrade um, what they their what they desire is is key. Now, if someone comes in and say we want to have a super ultra premium brand, and this label, you know, my grandfather started this and isn't isn't we want to maintain this. Well, um, that's fine for all the people that love the brand that know it from the grandfather, but if you're if it doesn't have that original soul in it and quality in it, then it won't carry independently and communicate independently as it moves through time. So if, you know, we, when we establish um, the original, if we're, if we're starting from scratch, um, we, we solve the problem uh, with original art, original concept, everything working to solve that problem. If, um, if you, if say, uh, I'm thinking of Round Pond, uh, Round Pond, very successful, lovely family. And um, when they came, they had a prize winning package um, that they said, you know, we've won all these prizes with this package, but we can't get the price. Um, and we go, yeah, we love your package, but we see why. So we had an opportunity to start over 
and um, get to know them and what they had and what they were uh, wanted wanted to achieve and what opportunities they had, and worked with them to develop a whole um, a whole family of integrated messaging from a graphic packaging standpoint. Because in their case, they have more than wine; they they have um, you know syrups and olive oils and other products, and they're all wonderful. So in this case, we we created a, a durable brand that has a family, very strong family. If you go to a farmer's market, you can go, there's Round Pond. And it's flexible because products change. So again, every situation is, is different. We also have a start from scratch. We have wine. We don't have a name. We don't have, but we have a good distribution. And so we we can start right from scratch. We can come up with a name. We can come up with a story of whatever information we can get about the wine or background or uh, terroir, if there is any, or intent of the wine profile and work with that and come up with name, work with the client to come up with the name and the presentation of it. So it's very important to know where you want to go, maybe where you are now and where you want to go or who do you want to be, and then figure out how to how to get there. And the package um, is your it's your point of sale. It is your it is the support of your your imagery, your intent and, and who you are. So it's it's absolutely critical. And um, for longevity, um, you know, our packages have basically uh, remained unchanged since we've done them 20, 30, 40 plus years ago. And the um, maintenance of the imagery and the um, the continually uh, staying at a premium place unquestionably uh, is very desirable and, and makes a brand very stable. And, uh, you know, the intent of the the winemaker to maintain the quality of that wine. So it is a, it is a, you know, a partnership between the wine and the presentation. How do you know when to evolve? You know, at, at what point? So you've got a brand, they've been with you forever, they've been on the market forever. Are there indicators where, you know, you and the brand have to sit down together and say, we think it's time for a change. Yes, we. It depends again on the original, on the original art. Is that a a, a a piece that is a work that is got the integrity and the soul and the art and the beauty of that art that will ride through time? I like to tell um, Robert Mondavi story because he was a very, you know, in, influential. And we worked so closely with him for decades. And um, where he came in, he came in, there were only seven brands on the market. And um, he came up with his first label, which was the uh, elevation, front elevation drawing of his winery from the architect who was Cliff May. And, and so they go, oh, we need something more in there. So there was a woodcut artist, um, James Dean uh, in uh, up in, in uh, up in the valley, 
um, who, uh, Jim, James Dean was the printer. Um, he'll come to me. Anyway, so they hired him to put in a background. Uh, again, it was all black on a piece of yellow paper. And um, the, you know, the, the uh, wine, you know, Mr. Mondavi, uh, at every moment of his life, on all fronts, going forward to have the best of the best and improving. And he said he was always ready to let go of something, but to go forward. So um, he, uh, uh, oh, actually, um, I met I met Robert uh, Mondavi uh, through uh, Count Frédéric Chandon de Briaille, of Moeta Chandon because I had worked for several years with Domaine Chandon from the very starting from there. Who there. you helped name, correct? Yes, I did. Yes. Um, and they were going to call it Chateau Frédéric. And, um, and it was too themey for California at that time. We've got a lot of chateaus since then. So um, I, I came up with Domaine Chandon and, um, and then we did do a, a, a wine called Fred's Friends, which was really fun. I, in fact, I have the painting here. Um, so Robert uh, was because um, he, he was, uh, you know, he said, call me in a few years. Fred introduced um, us and, and he had had the project of Opus um, that he was working with Baron Philippe de Rothschild on. And they had been working for a few years, and the problem, he said, making the wine's not a problem, but the, lab, the label <laughs> has been a problem. So um, he said, call me in a, in a, in a year. But I, it, you know, three years passed, and I, I actually forgot about that. And um, apparently they were having all of kinds of people work, uh, from Andy Warhol to you know, big design, Walter Landor, big design studios uh, to come up with a label that was not too French for Robert or not too something else for Baron Philippe. Um, so that was uh, a, uh, a wonderful, um, a wonderful, that's, see, there's a whole bunch of stories. I could go on for a long time on, on, on uh, Opus One stories. But out of that, um, I continued to, or we continued to work. Well, we could still continue to work with Opus One. We did their recent, um, it was released uh, last year, their, their, over, yeah, their Overture label. Um, and, but, and Bob uh, Mondavi said, you know, I have some problems here and my reserve is getting sold for a regular price. And the reason was you show the bottle and your thumb went across the snipe in the corner that said reserve. And so I had the opportunity to, to uh, do his labels and we, everything as history has shown is, you know, super, super successful and really set the bar in, uh, in Napa Valley and on the, on the world stage. Um, and he was always, uh, focused on having his wine sit on the table of the best wines of the world and created this wonderful um, market and image for Napa Valley as a as a great wine producing you know area yeah I think I'll um, 
to um, the question you were asking before, Holly. I think Robin Mandavi is a good example of a client we've worked with where we've watched them do, you know, only traditional marketing, you know, pre, pre-internet kind of marketing and keep up, you know, with the times. They just did a big NFT release um, um, with the House of Bordeaux and Bernardo and um, some beautiful porcelain bases and gorgeous. Um, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're doing a great job of maintaining, um, bringing back to life, bringing, right? bringing the Robert Mondavi winery brand um, into a place where it's a new modern classic and yeah. they're bringing back, you know, they're working to bring back the heart and soul and educate people about it and highlight it. And also, you know, stay contemporary with, you know, their collaborations and their, and their social media and all the stuff they do to promote the brand. So if we talk about big brands, you know, I I know what we also hear is big money, but we have a lot of small brands. We've got beautiful artisanal brands coming on the market who um, often discount or question if this kind of visual branding and imagery is a good investment from day one. And I'll tell you actually a story, a very honest story. We have this discussion um, in my office all the time because if I have a client who's got a finite budget, we look at, okay, how do we divvy this up between say we've got branding you know, on the one hand and we've got marketing on the other hand. Um, and, it, and it can be quite a difficult decision for young brands to make. So what would you say to some of these younger, smaller who are trying to make a decision around how they invest money? Not how much they invest, but just literally what the value of professional design brings to their business case, their profile, their brand awareness, and ultimately their marketing and sales? I think that investing in the imagery and investing in your brand identity in the beginning is a very wise use of your budget. I think to spend the money on marketing and getting your name out there and getting um, your brand out there, if your brand branding isn't solid, then you're getting brand awareness for a brand that's going to need to change when you have a little more budget. So really to figure out who you are and figure out how to visually communicate that to your new audience I think is an essential um, step in order to make a a successful brand. If you don't have a big budget, you can, you know, make uh, say modest, more modest decisions in uh, your packaging, the the, the amount of techniques, et cetera, that you use. But that communication, the pure communication of that desirability is something that you should invest in to get it right. You know what what I really love about that? Because of course, this podcast, right, we focus on marketing, communications, and strategy. And um, and it's a really nice wrap-up because the thing that we all, I think, are saying to our clients are, do the work in the beginning understand who you are, know what's important to you, know how that's going to uh, intersect really with your audience, but don't rush forward, right? Without having made those core decisions. Mm-hmm. And and when you have that information sitting behind you, then you can make decisions about 
how you spend. You can brief great agencies. You know when it's worth it to hire it, you know, and, and you have all of that, whether it's personality, messaging, visuals, you know, what channels you're going to be on. So I, I really appreciate both of you taking the time. I know you're super busy and I've, I've taken a lot of time from you today. Um, and, and just personally, that was so great for me. I could sit here and keep talking to you. I look forward to being in San Francisco and getting to meet you in person. So thank you, Susan and Chloe, so much for your time today. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Uncorked. Thank you for listening and a very special thank you to Susan and Chloe Pate for joining me today. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.